It's a new frontier this week on the Indie Ball Report. We break down the start of the Frontier League season and give you a preview of what to look forward to then. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again. Episode number 166 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we have a preview to do. We have Atlantic League discussion to do. I just knocked a headphone out of my ear. And we have uh, the American Association to talk about. Uh, yeah, I mean, just plenty, certainly plenty on the docket this week. The last major league preview, uh, I guess, and with a little twist, I guess, on one of the teams that we learned earlier uh, this morning as we're recording, early Friday morning. The twist on one of the teams, which I'm sure we will get into uh, in that Frontier League preview. Of course, that's actually what I should have tossed into that like uh, 15 second long cold open. I should have teased the uh, big name there, but teasing it in the first like 90 seconds is pretty good too. So we'll keep you on your toes for that. But that when you sent that to me, well, I was like, oh, wow, it actually happened. I wasn't expecting it to happen. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I had a, like, I had a feeling like he had to throw somewhere. Now, for what team and what league? And I don't think anyone had any idea, but now we have some clarity on it. Absolutely. So, uh, with that said, we do have uh, some news to get into, some discussion to get into before we get to that preview. Uh, and that's really just talking to the Atlantic League rather briefly. Uh, we want to get to this preview early, so we'll keep it to probably do around 15, 20 minutes on this. Uh, we mentioned last week Kevin Krauss was released by Stan Island. We have that to discuss, and that will bring us into a large discussion on Stan Island, who has put together a three-game winning streak over York. So uh, we'll open up with Kraus here in that we now kind of know why he was released. Uh, apparently he got released over some sort of an incident where he arrived to a team photo event late. And then after he got there, he had a discussion with his manager. It didn't go as well as we thought. One thing led to another. He wound up cleaning out his locker. And then we have a whole statement here that I'll pull up in a second but generally it just seems like there was a bit of a disagreement between two parties and uh it didn't quite go the way uh the way you would like to see it go honestly don't even really know what to think about this incident because it's hard to know uh because the team statement was so vague and like obviously kevin Klaus is a really good player yeah uh and the other like kind of wrinkle thrown into this is the only he's the only uh, Staten Island native uh, on the Staten Island Ferry Hawks roster, uh, so that's a little wrinkle thrown into it. But uh, it is just it's just a very odd situation in the in the sense that I don't know. He's Krause's statement is pretty detailed about it. It's I just feel like there's something we're not getting. You know, Nick, if you want to just, like, read the incident so we can stop teasing it, I, yeah. I guess, to give it some clarity. Yeah, so uh, Kevin Krause released the statement after being released. Uh, this is the statement as it was reported in uh, Stan Island Live. Uh, article will be linked in the show notes, as always. It goes, <clears throat> Dear Fairy Hawks fans, I am upset and saddened about what happened yesterday. This was released on Saturday, so gives you some sort of framework for this. I desire to have a great season for the Fairy Hawks. Not for it to end like this. The incident which led to my release occurred before batting practice during the team picture. Here's what happened. At 11.16am, 
players received a text saying that there will be a team photo on the field at three at two thirty p.m. My phone was turned off, so I was so I arrived unaware as players were walking out in their uniforms. I changed into the locker room and jogged out to center field as photographers were adjusting the frames to fit everyone. Fonzie, Ferry Hawks manager at Guadalajara, Alfonso, rushed the photographer by saying, quote, Take the photo, hurry, take the photo, end quote, as I stood a couple feet away. The photo was taken without me in it, and Fonzie stood up and walked away. I said to Fonzie, You can't take an, you can't wait 30 seconds for me to get in the photo. He said, You're late. I replied, You can't make an exception for me. I took the train and didn't see the message. He grinned, patted me on the shoulder, and replied, It's okay. It's okay. You're always late. As he walked away from me, I said, I'm the only Staten Island guy on this team, and you're going to exclude me? That's not okay. It's BS, and you know it. We parted ways, and that's when I decided to clean up my locker. For the manager to blatantly disrespect me like that and leave me out of the photo over a couple minutes of tardiness was unacceptable. I have no choice but to leave. If I stayed, it would have gone against my values and principles. I stand by my decision, Kevin Krause. On Thursday night, the team had said that Krause was released due to an off-the-field incident which did not uphold his contractual and professional agreement. So, I have a couple of thoughts on this. And obviously, we have a, a certain guest coming on next week. We'll tease that now and we'll tell you at the end of the show where we'll go into a large discussion on everything like this uh, because we're doing a whole Atlantic League show next week. But it just seems like a really petty thing here. And I get the sense of he was given the old, you can't fire me, I quit routine. I just get a real heavy sense from that statement that that's what happened here. So kind of how I'm viewing this, I... Uh given the statement assuming that this is what happened i just feel like honestly both sides should this have resulted in uh somebody cleaning out their locker immediately and just leaving probably like i feel like this is an incident that you could have pulled like whether you want to go home for the day like okay if if it's really like that upsetting and then you just come back and you talk about it yeah like you talk it out because at the end of the day you're you're a team and uh in such a long season teams butt heads of course Edgardo Alfonso he's a big name a big personality it it happens I, I don't know I just feel like whether at least assuming that the incident happened as described by Krause you could say that uh that Alfonso is is in the is in the wrong as far as I mean how hard is it to let Kraus into the photo. Yeah. I, it's not that hard. Um, now, on the other end of things, is it saying that quote I had no choice but to leave? If I had stayed, it would have against it would have went against my values and principles. I don't know. Like, that... is this really that big of a deal? That some it just seems something that what? really should not be going on on a professional baseball team. And something that really should have been figured out on one end, just because like the players and the, the manager should have figured it out. And also, Kevin Krause is your best hitter. Like I, you don't have to love each other, but he is your best hitter. Yeah. Uh, so, so I just feel like this is some. This is an incident that that really should have been dealt with internally and should not have exploded uh, to this point. Yeah, like for me, it just seems like a like you said, an overreaction on both ends. I don't really understand what, like, uh, principles or values that this goes against. 
at the end of the day, he was still starting off in the wrong by showing up late. And if he got the text at like, what was it, about three hours, a little over three hours before this team picture was. At, yeah, like, yeah. It, it seems like enough time for you to turn your phone on and see this and get over there. Plus, clearly at some point you saw it because you saw the text here. So either you were going to show up to the ballpark after 2.30 anyway, which I don't know if they had a practice. I don't know what time they usually get into the ballpark at. So perhaps he was still on the right pace. But at the same time, it's like you were still told about it. You turned your phone on. You clearly saw it. And you could have sent a text. You could have called. You could have done something to, uh, you know, be like, hey, I'm running behind or whatever it may be. It seems like, you know, professional courtesy would have been to do that. Likewise, I think it was a little bit over the top here uh, by Alfonso to do that. If it's that much of an issue, you could just, you know, say, well, let me see you in my office, something like that. Like, that seems where this should have been handled, because at least from Krause's statement, it kind of makes it sound like they were doing this in the middle of the infield, which, you know, it's just unprofessional by both ends there. But it's like neither one of you are really in the right here. It seems like a major, major thing here. And I don't think by being the lone Stan Island guy, that kind of gives you special privileges. If anything, what gives you a special privilege is the fact that, like you said, well, he was by and way their best hitter. Now, clearly, as we're going to talk about in one second, they've kind of turned around. They've gotten a lot better. They've, they're playing better baseball. But this just seems like the kind of thing that really could have been avoided with just like a professional, can I talk to you in your office or can you talk to me or can I talk to you in my office type of situation? Or this is not going to be hashed down the middle of an infield or in a hallway or in a dugout. Exactly. It's just, it's not something that, it just seems kind of like an incident that would happen in like high school or something. Yeah. Like, this is really something and, and results in somebody quitting the team because, and I, I say quit, maybe the wrong term, but yeah. I mean, because it was, I mean, kind of mutual in, in both ways. And obviously Staten Island saying on their end that he was released due to an incident, obviously this, yeah. uh, it just seems like this could have been handled so much better uh, on both sides. And yeah, I agree with the, I'm the only Staten Island guy on the team and you're going to exclude me. I, at the end of the day, it, it's hard to believe that your phone was off for, for that long, unless there was some sort of, I don't know, phone being dead or, or whatever. If he, if he took the train, like he said, and taking the subway, uh, you're not taking the subway for three hours. Yeah. And, you're not even taking, yeah. and you can't take the subway to Stan Island. So that's the thing. Like I, he's, he's saying he took the train. I, you could. I, I don't I believe this. Nah, because remember when we had Rob on, he was like, pizza rats doesn't make any sense of a name. Cause the subway is not on Stan Island. Cause it's on Island. It's only in like the five, like the uh, main part of uh, New York. I, you can still take the train okay. on, but I don't, I believe you can, there's still a train line that runs. There through Stan is Island. a, I think, at least on a, based on a quick Google search, uh, there's no, there is a a train line, uh, but the no direct rail link between. It's called the Staten Island Railway. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, but there's no link between that and the New York City subway system, so uh, you can't actually get uh, to. You can't actually get to New York City. Like I don't know where he lives or whatever, yeah. uh, but. I, I, yeah, so there there is a, a transit system. It, yeah, so I, I, I think, again, the, I guess the train part is believable, but unless you live in 
somewhere very far. It shouldn't take three hours. Something yeah. doesn't add it up. And at the end of the day, like at, at the end of the day, can you guys just figure it out? Yeah, like, like this, this seems like doesn't such a need minor to come thing. to this. Like we're talk like we're talking about this and trying to analyze how they took the train here and dealing with people being laid and these are adults. Like, come on, guys, fi- figure it out. Especially like. It should not. It should not come to this in professional baseball on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. It's. It seems like the kind of thing that should just be, if anything, a discussion. Maybe it gets a little heated. It's sorted out. You separate each other for like a day or two. Then you come back and it's just it's done. Like hash it out and then be done with it. it I just. It seems like everybody made this a bigger deal than it has to be. So. It gave us about uh, ten minutes, thirteen minutes worth of uh, something to talk about, though. So. And from that angle, it was a good thing it happened. Well, that, that's it, it is entertaining, and it is certainly worth talking about. So, yep. I suppose that part of the, that part of things makes it good. And it also leads us into this beautiful segue of talking about how the Ferry Hawks have won three in a row. Yeah, they they have won three in a row. I, it, which is certainly it's obviously a good thing. Yeah. Uh, however, at the same time. Does that say more about the York Revolution just really being bad? Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, like, they got swept by Stan Island. Like, I want to give the Ferry Hawks more credit because I, I really do think they have not been as bad as the record says they are. Yeah. But at the same time, who was it? The Which football coach was it that said you are what your record says you are? Was it Parcells? No, Parcells, yeah. Yep. So I mean, at the end of the day, they are still a a, what, a four and thirteen club, so that's yes. not exactly boding great. They still have a two hundred and thirty five winning percentage or point two three five winning percentage. I guess more accurate, but like they're not a good team, but they're also not. I don't think that bad. That being no. said, you know they there's still an outside shot that you know they can get to five hundred. I think in on this half, you know. Do I don't I th- know about that. <laughs> look, let's just quickly take a look at this North Division here because I think the North Division is worth talking about because the South is just kind of like its own thing right now. I don't even know what to talk about when it comes to the South because everyone's pretty much good there. Even the bad teams are pretty all right. With the North, though, with the exception of Southern Maryland, there really isn't a good team in the North right now. I agree. On the other hand, I just... And I know the Ducks are struggling right now, and they got to win tonight again in their series against High Point. However, I I still think that the Ducks would figure it out at some point. I mean, Staten Island already they're nine games under, uh, so I I would be surprised. And also, a quick note, uh, kind of concerning note: uh, yeah. the attendance for Staten Island the Ferry Hawks last game was four hundred and fifty-five. Um, That's North Bear territory right there. It's uh, not good. Not good at all. But I, you know what? I, I, it's, uh, the one thing I think we could say about Staten Island this weekend is they're playing the terrific Gastonia team. I can't believe I'm saying that. They're playing a terrific Gastonia team. Uh, so not to say we're going to learn in the sense of, oh, can they take the series? More just, are they competitive? They were not competitive in that Lexington series. They were able to get one win. They got smacked the other games. So we'll see, I guess, if they're remaining competitive and remaining close in these games against Gastonia. And then we could maybe see, or is this team starting to turn around? Fair enough. 
I mean, I do want to go back to Long Island quickly, though. They got a 1-0 win because the game got called up to six innings because there was too much fog to see the baseball. So I'm just saying against High Point, if you play the extra three innings there, you play seven, eight, and nine, perhaps they're not holding on to that win there. And they just got swept by Lancaster, which not to, you know, go after Lancaster too much here, but I mean, they're not exactly a great team in and of themselves. I mean, what's their team ERA at? 5-11, which oh. is actually 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 in the league out of 10. So they are in the top half of the league. Well, no, they're 6 out of 10. They're in the bottom half still, no? We're only the top oh, five. Wait. Oh, wait, I sorted it wrong. Never mind. Yeah, they're still in the bottom half of the league. But you know what? They're uh, improving, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Ducks pitching is worse than the Barnstormers right now. Ain't that's Which, you know... I finally appreciate. We finally have three teams with an ERA under three as a team. It's lovely to see that again. Thank, thank the Lord. We're back to actual baseball. That's nice to see. Regardless, though, I mean, Lancaster's not exactly doing a whole lot to move the needle there. So I think getting swept by them is, I don't want to say it's unexcusable because bad weeks will happen. But man, you really need to take at least one from them. And it's not like they're really notching that much as far as the wing column goes two of their wins did come against york or at least two from what i recall so the ducks i agree they should turn it around they are still long island and counting them out is a bad idea but even still it is a bit concerning there and the whole north division i just get the sense either we're going to have a wild card out of this division or the second half is really going to be a rat race to the top yeah, I think so. Uh, as far as you would think, Southern Maryland certainly in the driver's seat. I mean, oh, they're yeah. sixteen and three. They've. I don't want to say. I mean, I hesitate to say they have the the first half championship wrapped up, but certainly trending that direction. If you can put it on, keep it on for another week or so. Uh, but as far as the Ducks. Nick, we got it. We know the Ducks. The Ducks yeah. could come back with an, ind- and I'm not even talking about, oh, they're going to turn and run and win. Like, maybe this roster isn't very good. But you know yeah. what? If, if the roster isn't good, I guarantee you this Wally Backman and Mike, Mike Pfaff are not going to sit around waiting for them to figure it out. They could just overturn, they could just totally change the team in one night, come back with an entire new team in the second half, and win the North Division. See, the problem is, I'm not even, like, I'm only half surprised that we didn't hear that Robinson Cano is a Long Island Duck now. I'm only half surprised at that. I mean, he did sign with a major league team, so. Moving from that point, though, I am, this more or less the point, I am surprised that we haven't had our huge big name major leaguer signed there yet. It it feels like it's coming, though. I don't know who it's going to be, but it feels like it's coming sooner than later. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see who are some of the minor league releases and stuff like that. I think that could definitely be coming. Hopefully for their sake, but yeah, in the South, just real quick, because like I said, next week's going to be a whole Atlantic League episode as we then uh, as well. I'm away, so that's why you're getting that. But just quickly looking at the South, it is a really tight knit division. Like I really want to say, like, oh, Gastonia is running away with this division, but they're really not. High Point turned it around; they found themselves. They're only two back, and even Charleston, who had kind of a little bit of a rough stretch a week or so back. They're only four games out of first. And I mean, even the bottom two in Lexington and Wild Health, I mean, they're not even that far back. They're six and seven games, and I'll admit, you know, six and seven games is hard to make up. But 
we've seen in the past, that's not impossible to come back from, especially when they're winning games. It's just not winning a lot of games. I mean, you look at their records, they would not be that far out from being second place in the, uh, in the North. So that division seems to be like a, it's a very competitive division. I, I gotta say, and I'm very interested in seeing how that plays out. Well, extremely competitive. And, uh, of course, Gastonia, they started 14 and two, they've lost their last two. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they can hold off. Like, of course, if this, if Gastonia was in the North, this would be over. Yeah. Uh, but, in the, but in the South, you got high point creeping up and Charleston certainly capable and, and, and Lexington, I, I wouldn't count them out either just because of the, the offense and, and stuff that they have. Uh, but, as far as as far as I, I still think High Point's the favorite for me in the South. Um, now, I mean, both Gastonia and High Point uh, have really swung the bats well so far. And I gotta say, Nick, it is so nice. And to go off your your, your ERA point, yeah, there's no team OPS over 800 at the moment, which I welcome so much. I know because now we're playing actual baseball, not like Wii baseball, where it's easy enough to get hits. It's, it's so beautiful. I know. Well, I mean, to be fair, Gastonia is close. They're at nearly 800. Yeah. I mean, see, we may be at, we may we may be in a new year as far as the quality of pitching, but nobody told the York Revolution that. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, the York Revolution have a lot of issues on their hands. So, but and I can I just point out for a minute, Gastonia is playing like actual really fun baseball right now. 45 stolen bases. They're just going for it. They're finding ways to get on base. They're scoring runs. They're just they're just going out there. They're playing almost like sandlot baseball. And the thing is, That's they're pitching well too. Yeah. And they're pitching well. Second best ERA in the league, which, you know, is a huge improvement. And again, we're 20 games in. So I mean, a lot is subject to change. We still have over 110 games left to play in the season. But that being said, still, it's a nice welcome change of pace, you know? Absolutely. It's nice to get uh some new, some new teams at the top, and uh, I mean, even, even looking at this this Gastonia team, like offensively, even guys like Skull haven't really got it going yet. Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, they have they have excellent starting pitching. Of course, a big part of that uh, former Red Sox legend Marcus Walden uh, at the top of that rotation. So uh, that's certainly good to see. But hey, Gastonia and, and Southern Maryland played a really fun series. I uh, and Southern Maryland ended up winning it, but I I think again those are two teams that that have played very well so far, and it's it's great to see Gastonia kind of working toward the top after a tough year last year. Absolutely, and so to that point, I think we've gotten a pretty decent overview of the Atlantic League where we're at with that. As we mentioned, next week's show it's going to be a heavy Atlantic League uh, focus show. We're going to have a a fun guest on to help us talk about the Atlantic League. I think. Y'all could pretty much figure that out. If not, you'll know by the end of the episode because we'll announce it then. But uh, on that note, we do have a 16-team preview to get to. And being that we're recording this at 11 o'clock at night, I want to get this preview going so that way I don't wind up editing this thing till 4 in the morning. So with that said, we'll switch to the Frontier League preview. And that begins with our general overview of everything. Season started yesterday, actually, or well, two days ago when you're listening to this, on the 12th. Uh, season ends September the 4th, so Labor Day weekend. We have a new sudden death rule. And 16 teams, two divisions, that includes a traveling team. 
There's a playoff system in place that will allow six teams to make the postseason. So this is a nice change from last week's preview in the American Association, which also opened up this week. Not really going to talk about too much over there because, well, it's first run of games and we can't really break down one game per team yet. That'd be a little bit uh, not really worth it. Uh, but anywho, we actually have playoffs with stakes here. Playoffs will start on September the 6th run for about 10 to 12 days depending on if that championship series goes three games four games or five games 96 game regular season though is a guaranteed with each team playing each other for at least one series and you're going to play the teams in your division between three to four series uh some will get three some will get four uh it depends obviously with 96 games you got to work out the schedule a certain way so that's just how it breaks down also have an all-star game on july 17th in washington pennsylvania We've discussed all of that on um, past episodes as well, so you can go back into the archives and listen to those for more information on certain topics. We will uh, either put the episode number or link to episode in the show notes for this one as well. Uh, that said, we have the extra innings rule coming up in a second, but anything we want to go over before we dive into that extra innings rule. Yeah, not a ton. Uh, I think it's just the only thing I would add is uh, it's just, of course, the traveling team, the, the Frontier Grays is something to, to mention. Kind of got that uh, last year with Quebec for uh, for a lot of the season, but uh, one full traveling team in the mix. Um, and yeah, I really want to talk about this extra inning rule. So yeah. we'll start with that. Yeah, so this extra inning rule is a bit different. We discussed it in the past, I believe it was about a month and a half ago or so. Again, that'll be linked in the show notes for that episode for a more in-depth discussion, which we take, like I think, 20 minutes on. So if you want more in-depth, you can go to that. But the general consensus is they're going to play one extra inning with the international tie-breaking rule. In other words, runner on second rule. Uh, so you will play either 10 innings if it's a full nine-inning game or if it's a doubleheader day where you're playing seven, you'll play eight innings in total uh, with pretty standard baseball fare. If you're still tied after that 10th or 8th inning, depending, uh, then we go into sudden death. What is that? Well, that means the home manager will get to pick if he wants to defend or if he wants to play offense. And if you pick offense, you get a runner on first base, that is whoever made the final out. So same way the runner on second is determined, is the runner on first for sudden death. Uh, defense needs to get a stop, meaning they can't get let the runner score. You need three outs to end the inning as is standard. If the defense stops that run from scoring, or any run from scoring in general, they will win the game. If the offense scores a run, then they win the game. Ghost runner is an unearned run. This system is only for the post or only for the regular season. It is not in the postseason. So essentially, sudden death is a runner gets put on first base. If a run scores, then the offense wins. If the run doesn't score, then uh, defense wins. So that is sudden death baseball in the Frontier League. And I. Uh... And I, I just, I really want to see how this ends up playing out. Yeah. It's in my brain, it seems super fun um, and very, very different than yeah. uh, than just like the runner on second and whatnot. And I don't know if it's going to really impact that many games just because, uh, I mean, which games get to extra innings. And of course, um, you know, the, the runner with the starting with the runner uh, on second. 
is uh, it, it ends games in the 10th inning for the most part. Uh, but in those small sliver of games, just it, it brings in the sudden death. Just so much strategy involved in it uh, that I think makes the game really exciting. It ends the game quick, uh, which, again, you don't want these marathon games uh, in a regular season Frontier League game. It's not good for anyone involved. Yeah. Uh, playoffs, of course, you throw that all out the window. But at the same time, uh, as far as as far as regular season in those games that it does affect, I think it, it has the makings of a really, really fun role. And I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out in practice. Yeah. We've talked about this in depth where you can't have the Tuesday night special game where it winds up starting at seven o'clock and running till 1130. That's just not going to work. You're going to have an empty ballpark and it's just going to be bleeding money at that point. And plus, nobody really wants to. And you don't really have the uh, talent pool to pull from. You don't have minor league system to pull from uh, for a short notice for a day to throw some innings. So you need the games to end early. I agree. There's a lot of strategy that goes into it. It really comes down to if you built a very strong pitching team with some good defenders, then you may want to pick the defensive end. Plus, I got to imagine the math on it or the numbers on it probably back up stopping the run first because if you just get a ground ball that eliminates the runner there and that's two outs off the bat but if you have a really strong batting team and the situation lines up where maybe you have a a fast runner either on your bench or that would be on first to start there then hey you know maybe it's worth taking the risk to to bat so there is a lot of elements there and most importantly it is an upgrade from the home run derby i don't think uh the home run derby i think it works better in theory than it does in practice because at the end of the day you're really letting a skills competition decide who wins and loses the game at least this method it does work as you know kind of real baseball where you still do have to get an out you still have to get three outs actually and you still have to score a run so you still have an element of baseball in here as opposed to just you know throwing bp essentially so to that end i like it i do agree though i want to see this thing in practice and i do say one thing i hope this doesn't wind up determining a playoff spot i doubt more than like each team will be affected by this more than two or three times in the season i think that's probably around the amount of times we're going to see this per team if that many so i don't think it'll have too much of an impact but i really don't want this to be what makes or breaks a team season because then it's going to be an element of oh well if we just played you know normal extra innings then we would have been in but you know, oh, I do think it is still a very interesting method. Well, it's super interesting, and I agree with the fact when you said that you didn't want that you don't want it to see impact a playoff spot at the end of the season. Um, that I agree with that. I, I definitely think that's something you'd like to try to avoid. However, I think it's fun. There's a lot of strategy involved into it. I would think again. You can't exactly say, oh, just play the numbers because there's no sample on it yet. So yeah. we don't know. Uh, just thinking it like in my brain, I would think that you more often than not would want uh, to be on the pitching end of things. I guess, but that all depends. Did you use your closer in the ninth? Did you not use your closer in the ninth? Uh, I guess that changes if you were the home or the away team. So uh, it just makes for, I will say, it makes for very fun. And I hope uh, any Frontier League game I go to this year gets to this point because it's going to be, su- it sounds super fun. Absolutely. You know, so it's one of those things where it's like, how much of that pitching staff did you already use over the last two days? If you had a bullpen day either the day before or that very day, then maybe you're going to say, oh, well, I'd rather not use another arm right here. 
because, you know, then I'm really going to be up the creek tomorrow. If it's like a Sunday game, then maybe you're willing to go ahead and pick the pitching option because you're like, oh, I have a day off tomorrow. So that means everybody's going to rest a day. So I should be back to relative full strength. There is a lot of options here, which makes it very interesting to see. If you want a longer discussion on this, it's in a previous episode. Again, that will be linked in the show notes or the description of this episode so with that said we move on to the playoff structure in the frontier league uh top three teams in each division will make the postseason there are no halves in the frontier league so it's end of year top three teams in each division make it uh wild card round will be the two seed versus the three seed that is just a one game wild card so similar to what we saw almost identical actually to what we saw last year in the american association is how it works in the frontier league the division final is a best of three versus the one seed in the division and the wild card winner. Championship series is obviously the winner of the divisional final in each division. Uh, and they will play for the championship. That is a best of five. Wild card round, as previously mentioned, starts on September the 6th. Division final starts on September the 8th and runs to the 11th. And then the championship series starts on the 13th and can run to as late as the 18th of September. A fun way to go about the playoffs, and I think a pretty fair way. Six teams out of 16 make it. That doesn't seem like too many. It seems like pretty much like the right number in my mind. I would agree. I think that's the number you're trying to hit. Uh, I think that's the, I think that's the exact number you're looking for. It's ideal. Um, it, it makes it for you know very even and even numbers that you that you like to see. So I like to see it, and finally we've reached that point where it's just the per, it's just the perfect balance that we've been waiting for haven't got it yet but we finally got it now exactly so with that we go ahead and we talk about the two divisions of the teams that make up those divisions in the east we have the empire state grays which are the traveling team uh the ottawa titans new team they were supposed to start play last year but because of the difficulty crossing the u.s canada border they were delayed now they have begun play in the 2022 season we also have the new jersey jackals new york boulders the Quebec Capitals, Sussex County Miners, Tri-City Valley Cast, Trois-Rivières-Egales. In the West, we have Evansville, Florence, Washington, Gateway, Lake Erie, Joliet, Schaumburg, and Windy City making up the West. 16 teams in total when we get there. Uh, so that is the team's pretty, pretty good uh, variety in geography there. I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. I think the the, the talent is pretty even uh, overall. That I, I think that maybe in the that in the divisions, I guess last year we didn't see as much of. Yep. I like the idea of the bigger divisions, and you're kind of getting back to normal in, in a lot of these divisions. I, I think because when you stack those, when you had those divisions of just four to really limit travel, yeah, did it limit travel and do its job? Yes. However. Did it make for some really uneven divisions in the Frontier League? It sure did. And I think that caused a lot of problems, in which case you'd be like, oh, so a, sh like a team like Schaumburg who won a shitty division has got uh, got into the playoffs and got crushed, and they ended up winning the championship, which shows how much I know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, think, I think on paper, though, it looks good. Yeah, I mean, the Central Division last year and the West Division were the two that were like, ooh, these are not even divisions. And then, of course, the Central Division team wins the thing, like you mentioned, which I still feel bad for Southern Illinois and Evansville. They should have made the postseason. Last two bits before we get into the actual previews. Uh, new in 2022 slash offseason news, new extra innings, 
new playoff structure. All-Star Game returns to Washington. Uh, move to Flow Sports for streaming. We've discussed that on a previ- previous episode. You can check that out as well as the All-Star and playoff and extra innings, all that. Brand Refresh too. We talked about that a couple weeks back so you could hear full thoughts there. Partnerships with Baseball Cloud and Yakertech for statistics and whatnot. Gray's being added, of course. And there's a new league president and Eric Krumpka that came out last week as well. We'll talk about that in one second. But outside of that, anything else here is really stand out to you? I really don't like flow sports, but I've already went on my flow sports uh, rant, so I'll save that for another day, but I'm not thrilled about that idea. Absolutely. We've discussed that in depth, whether or not exactly the greatest, but you can hear that on the Go With The Flow episode. I believe that was 163, I want to say. I could be a bit off. Moving on from that, we do have to discuss the new president in there, Eric Krumpka. He's in his Frontier League president. John Danos left to pursue other opportunities. I saw where he went somewhere, but I unfortunately did not save the article, but I believe it's working with the um with major league baseball on um, minor league development if i'm not mistaken but i don't have the source on that so i don't want to state it as fact but i believe i saw that somewhere uh regardless as far as krumpka goes he served 13 years as the florida state league president so he has experience as a league president in the past and then he also has 10 years of experience as the director of business and finances for Major League Baseball. So a guy that knows what he's doing. Uh, he has experience in the presidency role. He has experience from a business perspective and working out dollars and cents, which for a league that is the size of the Frontier League that is looking to expand, will presumably have a new team next year to replace the Grays and has repeatedly said in the past they want to get to 20 teams. This is uh, the kind of guy that I think makes sense from just a margins perspective to have leading the helm. He knows what it takes to run a large league. He knows what it takes to make a large league profitable and financially viable. Overall, seems like a pretty solid hire, in my opinion. I would say so. Uh, I I would agree with that. I think that um, he seems qualified and uh, especially... You know, a good guy that you're that you're looking for to run the league, especially one that's gonna that's continuing to undergo changes and uh, hopefully going to settle down pretty soon. I've been kind of vocal that I'm not a big fan of the 20 team idea, uh, but I think currently the, where the league's at, I think it's a good, I think it's in good hands. Yep, certainly agree with that there. So, on that note, last thing before we get into our formal uh, team previews, quick recap of the 2021 season. They added Tri-City from Affiliated Ball, one of the big three markets that we were looking to see where they landed. We kind of were assuming Atlantic League, but then we got a curveball and we got the Frontier League here instead, which certainly worked out for them. Uh, it later led to a feud between them and Sussex County that ran for a long part of the season. You can go back and listen to pretty much any episode from last year to get more details on that. But long and short is they don't really like each other. And then Sussex County kind of got the last laugh by not throwing a game, but kind of like not running their A team out there in the last two games of the season, which cost Tri-City the division on top of them losing a game they really needed to win. But that's water under the bridge now. Uh, the Canada teams were unable to play, so they formed Team Quebec, the traveling team instead for the two uh, Quebec province teams, uh, hence Team Quebec. Uh, and so they wound up going on a miracle run, making the postseason, playing in the postseason alongside Schaumburg, and Florence and Washington. Schaumburg wound up beating Washington to win the title as well. And we later found out that it was 
the last season for the Southern Illinois Miners, which also kind of resolved the whole Miners issue of having two teams with the same name in the same league. That's true. That is true. The uh, just It was very unexpected, and uh, a team that, that was a good team last year and, and a good like, a fan base in general, it was really disappointing to see. Uh, however, just the, the whole my, – the, my, honestly, my highlight of the season was the Tri-City – Sussex County saga and that whole and that race in that division just just completely bonkers and it was probably the highlight in all of indie ball last year honestly oh, it God. was in- incredible it was fantastic and I really look forward to the first time Tri City comes to Sussex County this year because I'm gonna make a point of getting over there so it and I'm sure at some level it's died down now what's done is done and I'm sure we do know the league talked to Sussex County about what they did even though I mean like technically. They didn't, like, we know what happened with that. It was definitely a matter of, well, we can get them back. And because we're already out of the playoff race, right. so what do we have to lose here? And there's plausible deniability, even though it's like, we know exactly what you did there. And, you know, like, I respect it on some level. I respect that level of pettiness, because we're still talking about it, even though we probably should move on from it. But even still, it was definitely a lot of fun to talk about. A lot, of fun to, a lot of fun to talk about, but, you know, it sounds it took away from real baseball being played on the field. And, you know, for Sussex, for Sussex County Miners fans, you know, I mean, the, the end of last year is certainly not something that I'm sure they would like to relive and talk about. Uh, just a, a really disappointing, I mean, honestly, it was a, a, a historic collapse. Oh, last yeah. year for Sussex Mount for Sussex County, and they're going to try and rebound this year. I mean, if they at the end of the day, if that's the highlight of your season, and you're going to take like that much pride in ending someone else's season, fine. But let's not have that distract from the disappointment that was the minor season last year. Exactly from a division that we all expected you and me, and when we had Frontier League Journal on too, all three of us expected that division to just be a bloodbath division. And it winds up being the Jackals just kind of were spinning their tires the whole year. Sussex County almost got to the top of the mountain and then they ran out of gas and kind of fell back out. And Washington just kind of managed to keep going slow and steady and won the thing. So it kind of worked out for them. But you know what we do have first up for this uh, Frontier League preview? Who was that? The Sussex County Miners, who went 49-46 and 46 last year, second in the Northeast, missed the postseason, and Bobby Jones returns for his sixth season at the helm with a career record as the Miners skipper of 257 and 232. Home stadium is Skylands at 330, 392, 330. So, I will say before we get into this, I will preface all of this by saying, simply put, the East Division was done up yesterday. As in Thursday night is when I did all of the East Division uh, rosters. So they may be a little out of date. I saw two big moves that I have recorded on here that were made. You're going to know about the one because we teased it earlier. The other one is one of the Fargo guys that we previewed got moved to Ottawa. So we're going to talk about those guys in here. So there may be a little bit that's off because opening day rosters may have shifted a little bit. But generally speaking, these rosters that we're going to preview are pretty much as accurate as you're going to get from the time we did it. So that prefaced, uh, what are we looking at here when we see the miners? I think the, I think they're going to hit. Yeah. Uh, I think they're really going to hit and that's never really been an issue with them. Even, even at their worst last year, hitting was not an issue, but it was on the pitching end of things where they struggled. Uh, I think bringing Vin Bizarro was really interesting. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, Vin Mazzaro last year had a brutal year with the Long Island Ducks, but to be honest with you, I mean, so did every single pitcher who pitched in the Atlantic League last year that was not Daryl Thompson. Yeah. So, so he he's had some familiarity with Sussex County. He pitched for them in the All American Baseball Challenge as well. You know, a 35-year-old Vin Mazzaro, I, I would think that would play well in, in, in the Frontier League. He's got to get back to throwing strikes. Uh, however, I, I think adding a guy like Vin Mazzaro into the rotation is really interesting. It, my concerns are more more on that uh, on the pitching end of things um, as well. I, I think their, their bullpen is solid. Uh, Michael Mediavia is, uh, is, is pretty good as well. He had a good year last year in the back end of that bullpen. He's back, although I, I guess uh, he's guess into more into a, a, a starting role at the moment. Yeah, I guess he's had two starts early on in the season that haven't gone particularly well. So that's something to watch out for for them as well. Uh, but I think I think they're going to hit just some questions in the uh, as far as pitching that will be interesting to follow. But I think a lot of it rides on how good Vin Mazzaro is. Yeah, I think Vin Mazzaro is obviously the big name here. Uh, I like adding James Mulry though. He's been a very reliable bullpen arm in the past, especially. And I believe it was the 2019 season with Rockland. He had a very, very strong uh, season that last year, the Can-Am League. Last year, not as good for the Boulders, but still a very reliable guy. And I do like the back end of that bullpen an awful lot. Obviously, we know the usual suspects. They kind of kept the band together. Kaleo Johnson back. Mikey Reynolds returns. A fan favorite there. Martin Figueroa. A folk hero up there. Cito Culver as another guy that returns. Jawan Harris is a guy that's extremely interesting, a fast player too. So overall, I think it is very, they are a very interesting team. Are they a playoff team? I don't quite know. Five teams are going to miss it. We know one team in the East that's not going to make it. It's going to be the next team we talk about. And there's a lot of variables, I think, on this half of the Frontier League. So I'm not willing to commit to it yet. I think as long as they can get reliable pitching, batting will not be an issue. They can hit. They return a lot of guys that can hit, so it'll be interesting to see where they wind up finishing when everything's all said and done, but I do think they are a pretty solid team overall. Yeah, I think they're solid. I, I don't know if they're, at least on paper, the way they were last year in, in the sense that it was it honestly looked on paper like a slam dunk. I don't view them, I don't view them that way this year, but certainly being contention for a playoff spot, and I certainly wouldn't count them out for the division either. Agreed on that. Moving to a team that I think we can kind of count out here would be the Empire State Grays. Gil Rondone is at the helm for this one-year experiment. Obviously, they didn't play last year, and they're obviously a traveling team, so there is no record from last year. There is no home team. Uh, There really isn't too many guys here. There's guys like Tyler Hill and Jordan Scott and Zach Sullivan that have some experience in the Atlantic League, but those are really the short list of guys that I really saw when I looked over this roster here, there's not too, too much here that I'm really falling in love with. Yeah. Not a lot of familiar names on the empire state grades roster for sure. Something you'd probably expect. However, as a team that's run by run by the empire league, not support, not a surprise in particular to see guys like Tyler Hill and Jordan Scott and Zach Sullivan, three of the really the best uh, players the Empire League has ever had. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Scott winning the MVP, Tyler Hill getting some time with the York Revolution, as well as Zach Sullivan. So uh, it's not a total surprise to see those guys. They're going to be playing every day uh, in there. They're going to be playing every day with with this Empire State Grays team. Um, you know, 
Jordan Scott in particular tried to make the jump to the Atlantic League, didn't go well uh, in, in Southern Maryland. So, uh, you know, the, the, we know what traveling teams are, though they're kind of in that boat as well, maybe a little bit above like what a Houston Apollos would be, uh, but still not very good, definitely not on the caliber of what Quebec was last year, even though that's a whole different situation. Uh, but yeah. I, I think that they have a couple interesting bats in the lineup, but, you know, Pitching probably is going to be a wreck uh, that we'll have to see, but good for a lot of those guys from the Empire League to get the exposure of the Frontier League and trying to get contracts and spots on those Frontier League's Frontier League teams full time. Absolutely. I mean, we saw last year, like, in how many Houston Apollos have found their way onto you know legitimate uh, partner league rosters, and we're going to even highlight one or two of those guys uh, coming up later on in this preview. But overall, yeah, Empire State just really doesn't do much. Hell, the only pitcher in here that I really see as having, you know, a lot of potential to really kind of stand out, maybe TJ Goko, just from a short stint in Gastonia last year. But even then, there's just not a lot here. And that's to be, as you said, well understood because this is an Empire League All-Star team, basically, which has a very wide variety in talent. So with that, we go to the other New Jersey team here, which would be the New Jersey Jackals, 39-56 and 56 last year, third in the Northeast. They missed the postseason, as you could guess. Brooks Carey returns for his fourth year at the helm and comes in with a 137 and 140 or 154 record. Yogi Berra is their home, and they will have the dimensions. So 308, 398, and 308 in that lovable dump. Uh, handful of guys that are interesting, more or less on the batting side from the pitching side, I gotta say. Um, at least at a quick overview, I'm not really in love with this roster. I'm not gonna lie, there leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that the Jackals would make a little bit more, a, a lot better of a transition to the Frontier League than they ended up uh, making. They seem to have. The, the good thing on their end is Brooks Carey and, and company. They have the uh, kind of the veterans down pat, yeah. uh, your Santiago Chirinos, your Alfredo Martes. Uh, that makes sense uh, for a team like that who who have guys that, that would play them play for them for a while. But as far as like adding pitching, adding younger pitching, is something that they really struggled with. And when I look at this roster, that's kind of what I'm seeing with them again. Uh, we know there's certain guys on this team that are going to hit your Alfred, like Alfredo Marte and Santiago Torino. Never have to worry about uh, really about those two. But man, it was a really rough year for the Jackals last year, and not and it's a it's a, a franchise that um, is used to winning. Yeah, uh, it's certainly a franchise that is that is used to winning. Um, and I don't know. I, I just I specifically on the pitching end of things is I, I don't really see it. With this roster, I, I don't see a ton of improvement from last year. I guess can't get a whole lot worse, but I, I think they'll probably they'll score runs. They'll keep games close, but on the pitching end of things as well, I think they'll struggle. Yeah, I agree. The only real pitcher that I see is like standing out to me would be Chris Tessator. I like Tessator a lot. I think he's a very solid pitcher. I think he's a guy that can give you five to six really solid innings, and you could probably push him to seven if you really needed to, but that's where it's going to get kind of hairy, kind of like um, Mets-era Zach Wheeler, my mistake. That kind of guy where it's like, okay, the first five and six are going to go great. Once you get past that, now we're really getting to uh, very scary waters here. Uh, I agree also with uh, the offense is really going to be 
You mentioned Marta, you mentioned Chirino. I also think Dalton Combs is another level. I think a guy like Jason Agresti is always kind of produced at this level. He certainly did well in the one season with the Boulders. He did well last year in New Jersey or at New Jersey, however you want to call it. Uh, I mean, the guy does find ways to play good baseball. Overall, outside of that, you need more out of Todd Isaacs. He was a guy that was really hyped up for last year, and I don't think did as much as he could. Justin Wiley is another guy I want to see more out of. Uh, Salado is another guy that I think can do better than we've seen so far. You know, so overall, I, I'd like to see a bit more out of this team. There's a couple of guys that are really solid, but outside of that, it seems like it's uh, skin deep mile long for the offense. If you can shut down, like I said, like an Isaacs, like a Chirino, and really shut down Marte, you can kind of handle Combs, you can handle Wiley, you can handle Agresti, you can handle the rest of that lineup. So I'm not sure I'm willing to say this is a playoff team. I think they'll do better than last year, but without that pitching depth, I, I don't really necessarily believe in them to make a postseason run. I'd agree with that. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that uh, I would not. I would probably not pick them to, to make the playoffs out of this group and make the top three in this division. Certainly. If they get, like, say a Dylan Brammer to come back. Now that way changed my mind a bit because he's a, a very, very good closer. So that would Agreed. add some some pitching depth there, but they need more arms, certainly. Uh, that said, we shift up to just north of the New Jersey border, which is the New York Boulders of Rockland County. Uh, they were 43 and 52 last year. So just like I said, about six games under 500, they wound up being nine, so slightly worse. Uh, they finished third in the Atlantic Division. They missed the postseason. TJ Stant returns for his second year as manager of the club, 43 and 52 so far. As you can guess, they play in the recently renamed Clover Stadium. We covered that renaming in a previous episode as well. Peak off-season content, might I add. They have short porches on each side of the outfield there, which means you have 323, 403, and 312. So if you're a pusher or a pull hitter, it's a great ballpark to be in. But if you like to hit shit to dead center, not quite great, Bob. That's not going to go your way there. Uh, so with that said, looking at this team, what do we see? No, I think this is an improved team from a year ago. I think that uh, I think the forty-three and fifty-two record doesn't look great for the Boulders, but I, I do think that uh, they are an improved team, and I think that they, they will be in the mix for a playoff spot. I I almost think that, that it's likely that they will make the playoffs. Um, I, I think that uh, I think they're improved on the offensive side of the ball in particular. I really like Max Smith, uh, a guy that. This last year didn't spend a whole lot of time with the Boulders. However, uh, he hit pretty hit pretty well and uh, in got on base at a three sixty seven clip in high A with the Twins organization. I think he's a guy that uh, that I could see having a having a big year in a full season. I think the pitching is pretty solid too. Danny Warchanski is a really good arm uh, in this rotation. I, I think overall, to be honest with you, uh, and even guys like in their back end of the bullpen like Zach Schneider. Uh, more of a pitch to contact type of guy, but he'll throw strikes. He'll keep it in the zone. Uh, I I think that the, I think as far as I think this team will do a little bit better than than maybe some will have them projected. Uh, I, I'm pretty high on this team. I think that they can. I think they they can be in contention for a playoff spot. I think they can make the playoffs. And I guess we'll see what happens at that point. I probably wouldn't put them at the elite in the elite tier of the frontier league by any means, but I think the boulders are a solid team. I think they're, I think they will be a winning team this year. 
I think they're more around 500 in my mind. I'm going to try to ignore the two games they played so far because I know they had a very rough night tonight, Friday night, out in Washington. Having watched their home opener on the Thursday night, they got hit around a lot. They took leads, but they couldn't hold them, so pitching seems to be an issue. So I'm going to try to ignore that. I agree on Wachanski. I think Zach Schneider's in a very interesting arm. Obviously, you got some player coaches in Tucker Nathans and Robbie Rowland. Uh, but overall, I think this team, they are better than last year. I still view them as kind of around a 500 team. They, they are in a division where they have series where they can definitely get wins. And it's going to be important to beat up on teams like New Jersey, beat up on teams like uh, like Empire State and take those series that you really can win. You, you can't drop those games. I do think they'll push for that final wild card spot, but if they wound up missing it, it really wouldn't surprise me all too much. I think what it comes down to at the end of the day is getting the pitching. If they can get the pitching, then I really do like their odds, but if they can't, it starts to get really sketchy. I'd agree with that. I'd, I'd agree with that, uh, that they definitely need to get the pitching down a little bit more than what they currently have it, but you know, it's a frontier league. You're not going to have pitching staffs that are loaded from top to bottom in the same way that you might have it in the American association of the Atlantic league. When you don't have this rigid of a salary cap or the salary cap and uh, veterans and stuff like that. So I think, I think the Bulldogs are a solid group. Uh, I I think I I do really do think they'll be the next. Fair enough. It's one to see to watch out for, but now we'll shift our attention to north of the border. We go up to the newest permanent team in the Frontier League in the Ottawa Titans. Bobby Brown will take over on the helm. is originally going to be Steve Brook, but he winds up coming up a little bit later in this preview. Bobby Brown winds up being the guy that will helm year one. RCGT Park, Raymond Grant, uh, Raymond Chabot, Grant Thornton Park for the long way of it. 325-404-325 are the dimensions of that one. Not the first time we've seen a team in Ottawa, and hopefully it will be the final time because these guys will hopefully stick around. An interesting team here, and honestly, there's some very interesting pitchers here that I really like. There's less on the batting side of things, but overall, it's not as bad of a team as I was expecting to see out of them. Yeah, not at all in their first in their in their first season in, in quite a while, especially with a first year manager at the helm. I think this pitching staff is quite good, and I think it starts at the top with Zach Westcott. I mean, Zach yeah. Westcott is a terrific arm. Had a really good year last year with Southern Illinois, a guy with a three twenty nine ERA, uh, and he, he held his own in particular in Lexington's playoff run too, in a in a in a league where, of course, in the Atlantic League where it just really it was really hard to pitch last year so i mean having zach westcott at the top of that rotation able to, to keep him for, well to get him from southern illinois uh was was really important i think he is a, a great uh arm at the top of that rotation but i think you're right when you say that uh overall this is a this is a team that's really pitching based uh even even like a guy like evan grills um a guy who pitched a lot in, who pitched in taiwan last year uh, certainly if you if you can pitch in Taiwan, uh, you got to be pretty good. So uh, I think that coming back to the Frontier League, you could see him put up numbers. I think it's a very strong starting rotation and probably one of the best in the league. So I, I'm pretty high on this team uh, on the pitching side of things. Offensively, I'm a little bit concerned. Maybe some rookies will surprise. But I, I kind of put them on the same category as the Boulders, maybe a tick above. Uh, so I, I'm interested. I'm really, I am intrigued by them. 
absolutely. Honestly, if they can hit, I really do like this team. I know last year I kind of jumped on the miners getting Jackie or Baez because I was like, oh, he's never really hit for much. And last year he did significantly better than he had in the past. He hit two, 261. Now, granted, all the miners hit well, but he did turn into a much better batter. So he's a guy I like towards to, if he can continue that trajectory, I really like him there. But the pitching, like you mentioned, is an area where I really, really like this team. Westcott, as you said, he's probably high key if he sticks the whole year, pitcher of the year candidate right there. But some of the other guys, a guy like Gavin Sonier, I really like him a lot. He did well in Sussex County last year. I thought he was a very, very solid guy out of the bullpen. But he also started eight games as well. So he's kind of a versatile arm. You can put him where you need to. And also the guy like Tanner Cable, he's had experience in the Frontier League, a lot of experience going back to 2017 on that front and he's pitched well in that regard in the past really if you just exclude one poor season in river city he's overall been a very very good bullpen pitcher uh in this league so i like him an awful lot there uh even there's there's honestly just a lot of pitching talent here do i think they're a playoff team possibly i think they'll be in contention for a while certainly if they made the postseason, I wouldn't be surprised. If they missed it, I wouldn't be surprised either. But overall, for a first-year team, I really do like this roster. Agreed, agreed. I think they'll be they'll be in the mix. Absolutely. So we switch now to another team in Canada, the Quebec Capitals. They did not play last year because of pandemic. So Pat Scalabrini will return for his 12th year at the helm. 610 victories to only 457 defeats. Stade Canique is their home park. 325 to each of the sides and then 375 down the middle. This is a team that has a rich history of winning. They were essentially the team that would always win in the Can-Am League. And even going back to the predecessor of the Can-Am League, they would win an awful lot. If you want to call them the Yankees of Indie Ball, that wouldn't probably be that far off because this team just won a lot the last couple of years. Not as great. It seemed like getting walked off by uh, Martin Figueroa kind of broke this team. And now they've come back. And I got to say, I really like a lot of the additions they made. I think this is going to be a really solid team. Absolutely, I think Quebec is going. I think Quebec, I would say, is probably a playoff team. Oh yeah. Um, in particular, this this lineup. I mean, bringing in Josh McAdams, I think, is a money signing. Oh, it is. Yeah. He is what he is. I think he's going to be in contention uh, for Frontier League Player of the Year. I mean, this is a guy that had 22 home runs with the Blue Crabs last year, and it's been a solid hitter in the Atlantic League for a couple of years now. So bringing bringing him in as that big bat in the middle of the lineup is going to help. I I like this. I like the pitching staff as well. I think there's a lot of depth in this team and not a lot of holes, um, at least early on. Especially when you look at the offense, and and of course, and a little back to McAdams for a minute. It's a very hitter-friendly park, at only three seventy-five to, to dead center field. So a guy that's going to hit for power originally uh, is you would think was is probably going to do that once again here in Quebec. So uh, very high on this Quebec team. I think they I think they're a, a pretty I don't want to say a shoe in playoff team, but you would think that they that they're going to be right at the top of this division and should be very excited about this team and trying to get back to what it was. Oh, absolutely. They're a team that I'm looking towards towards probably one of the very few lock playoff teams across the whole league. I would say they're probably challenging for the division title. Obviously, you mentioned uh, McAdams, but they also have David Glaude, who's a guy who's been 
very good in the past. TJ White, a guy that's been very good in the past. But really, I look at the rotation as uh, where I'm very interested. Ian Codina, a guy that was in Apollo last year, goes over to here with a lower level of competition. I think he does very well. Michael Austin, a guy that bounced around a little bit last year, but also, if I'm not mistaken, threw a no-hitter as well. So he's on this rotation. Cody Pavina's back, who was a very solid uh, starter last year. Uh, Cienfuegas also returns. There's four really good pitchers there. Plus, you have Joel... um, Hirtas, who is a guy that we covered when we did the Atlantic League preview for Staten Island. He pitched briefly for them and then wound up going to Quebec. Andrew Case is here. Marshall Still is here. There's an awful lot of guys here that are really good on a pitching end in a league where you might not have the same kind of quality pitching. You know, it is a solid, solid overall team here. And like I mentioned, there is a, enough batting in a ballpark that, like you mentioned, well, is hitter friendly. Overall, I really do like this team, and I think they're going to do a very, very good job at clinching a playoff spot and making a playoff run this year. Great, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty, a pretty stacked roster. I think they will, they will totally be in it to the end. I think you'll definitely see them in a playoff series this year. Absolutely, we'll go over to the final team in Canada, and then we'll swing back to the last team in the East after that. The 12 Riviere at Gals did not play last year. Matt Rush is going to be the manager. Again, it's his second year. Uh, 58 and 36 is his record here. That goes back to the old Can-Am days, of course. Uh, Stad Kilarama is going to be the home ballpark. I apologize for butchering all the French there, but it must be done. Uh, 342 to each of the sides, 372 down the middle there. This is another team that I really like. I think where Quebec had a lot of pitching talent, they have an awful lot of batting talent here, and I'm really interested to see what they do, and I think they are one of the, one of the playoff teams in this division as well. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not going to even try with the French. I'm just going to say three rivers because just no chance. I've never taken French in my life, never said a, maybe more than a couple words of French ever, so... Not going to even try and butcher that. Uh, However, 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 I think I do think uh, the three rivers lineup is very strong. Juan Kelly is a guy who's a stud. He he will be. I think he'll be in also in the conversation for player of the year if he's around for the whole season. I mean, Kelly was was awesome for Sussex County last year. He's a big addition uh, to this to this lineup. I'm a little bit worried about on the pitching end of things, which is why I hesitate to be. Uh, as high on them as, as I think you are. However, mm-hmm. I think the lineup's going to hit. I think they're going to score runs, and perhaps guys could step up in that rotation as well. Uh, I, I think you're looking at a, a team that's going to score a lot of runs, but just a, some concerns in the pitching staff has me kind of teetering on, on that bubble in that three spot maybe uh, and maybe falling out on the under the outside looking in. Uh, but I, I, think that, uh, I think that this lineup's going to hit. I think they're going to be an exciting group. Uh, definitely. Certainly. They have an indie ball veteran in Steve Brown on this team, too. Played in just about every league. You can imagine he was uh, an egg out for some time from moving on to the Ottawa Champions for a bit. Granted, he hasn't played since 2019, but I mean, hey, that's only two years off, and pretty much everyone took the one year off. So it's not like it's that big of a leap, and he was still very effective there. Joe Campania comes in from uh, Washington, and he looked very good there. Maybe not with the batting average, but he did hit for a lot of power there. And of course, you have hometown guy in Raphael Gladeau, 
who had spent time there in the past in 2019, also played in Quebec in 2021, where he hit nearly 400 through 40 games. So that's pretty damn good there. I think the pitching here is probably going to be enough to get them over the hump. I agree. The pitching is a little concerning. Austin Henrik is really the only guy that I think is reliable here. Maybe David Gauthier, but I'm a little bit higher in Gauthier than others would be. Uh, Pellier is also a guy that looks pretty good, but he's an outfielder, of course, so he's not really going to affect the pitching. But overall, I just, I like this team. I think they're pretty stacked. I think they are a team that is going to hit very well. And that should be able to keep them afloat, I think, get them to a playoff spot. I will grant you, though, the uh, the pitching is going to be make or break for them. It cannot be horrible, but as long as it's just passable, then they're a playoff team. I, I think that I, I do think that they'll be in the that they'll be in the mix for that. It's just at least at, as the roster currently stands, which of course it'll change. The pitching is concerning, uh, but I guess we'll we'll see how it ends up. Certainly. So we go to the final team in the East Division, the team with the player we were kind of teasing at the start of this episode, and that is the Tri-City Valley Cats, their second year in Indy Ball. They finished second last year in the Atlantic Division. They missed the postseason. 50-46 and 46 was their record. Uh, Pete Incaviglia is their manager. Obviously, 50-46 is his record as his tenure as the Valley Cat manager. Joe Bruno Stadium is their home ballpark, 325-400-325. They return the law firm. They return a couple of very interesting guys. And I'll let you do the honors. Well, they return or will add a very interesting arm to this uh, rotation. Definitely. I think this, I think this roster for Tri-City is loaded. Um, I know Peter can, and you would expect nothing less from a Pete and Cavillia team. Yeah. You mentioned the, you mentioned the law firm. Uh, we love, we love Trey Con. This is a Trey Conkring Gill Stan zone. Yes. Uh, however, I, I think the lineup is loaded. Dennis Phipps and Juan Silverio, the, the uh, Sugarland duo uh, is, is back. Uh, Willie Garcia, I think, is going to drive in a lot of runs. Even a guy like uh, even a guy like Brantley Bell and Pavin Parks uh, have, I think, can contribute as well. And in the in the, I think the the bullpen is going to be good. Of course, Trey Conklin Gill is about as good of a closer and as reliable of a closer as they come in the in the Frontier League. But you know what? If you if you're worried about some holes in the rotation, you know who can help start the year in oh. that department, Nick. Oh, who would that be? Well, that'd be uh, uh, ML, probably MLB likely first round draft pick and uh, Vanderbilt ace from a year ago, Mr. Kumar Rocker. Yeah, for once we didn't get screwed by recording early. We got bailed out by waiting because if we wouldn't record early, we probably would have been done for about what would you say an hour or so? That if that. Yeah, and then this would have came out the Kumar Rocker, former uh, top ten major league draft pick by the Mets who wound up not signing over arm concerns uh, and also a 38th round pick of the Rockies too from a while back uh, signed with the Tri-City Valley Cats for at least the start of the year. I don't imagine he makes more than one or two starts with them to be honest but for those one or two starts he will be an addition he will be interesting to see here and it was something that we've been teasing for a while in that we were like oh it'd be cool if he pitched for for an Atlantic League team or an indie ball. And the only way this could be kind of cooler than Tri-City would be, of course, if he pitched for, like, the Savannah Bananas or something like that. But even still, he definitely does help at this Valley Cat team. 
And uh, yeah, and I, I don't know. I think we'd see more than a, just a couple starts from him. I mean, he's got to prove that his elbow is healthy. Uh, so I, I think you could. See. But didn't they mention that he wasn't going to be starting until uh, the beginning of June, though? Yeah. So in that well, if that's I don't the know, case, you could then still get four or five starts. Drasnov until mid July. True. True. So we could get all of June in there. Which I mean, does that mean like? Everybody in creation now is like, oh, well, we got to check that Valley Cat schedule at the beginning of June. Make sure we get our tickets for those. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should. Oh, you know. If I, wa- if I wasn't away, I would I would be there. Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, yeah. you're going to be up in Massachusetts again. But uh, I think that, I, 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 oh, man, I would love to see Kumar yeah. Rocker pitching an indie ball game. That'd be so sick. You know who they play on June 1st and June 2nd? Who? Oh. The Sussex County Miners. Oh, how baby. fun would that be? Insanely fun. Like I don't honestly like I'm looking at their roster, like what their layout is. They play Sussex County, then Three Rivers, because I assume they're going to at the very least for its first start have it be a home game. It'd be stupid not to. Um, yeah. Then two games set against Col, well, three games set against Quebec, New Jersey, Three Rivers, Empire State. I feel like New Jersey in the middle of the month is probably your easiest landing spot. The other three teams that are before it all are fringe playoff teams to solidly playoff teams. So, I mean, I would say that's probably your landing spot there, but it would be very interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be be really fun to see. But you know what? As as fun as Kumar Rocker is, I think this Tri-City team is fun as well. I think they're a really, really good club. Yeah. More to focusing back again on on uh, Tri-City here. Trey Cochran-Gill, as we all know, is amazing out of the bullpen. And, you know, uh, I'm almost tempted to take him for pitcher of the year just because of how much uh, I like this guy as a pitcher. Uh, but there's also guys like Eddie Tavares and Troy Cruz, as well as pitching. Jake Dexter's an interesting name, has some Fargo time, if I'm not mistaken. Former major leaguer and Willie Garcia. You also have Dennis Phipps there. You have Paven Parks, who did well in the Pioneer League last year. Zunica, who was all right last year, too. Juan Silvario, who's another guy who's Atlantic League quality, certainly. Brantley Bell, who did well in a couple games at Stanton Island. Overall, this is a playoff team. I think it's safe to call them that. There's enough batting talent, enough pitching talent, where they won't have any issues making a run at it, as long as they don't get poached. If they get poached, then they'll have an issue. But going out the assumption they won't, I like this team a lot. Totally agree. I think they is if they don't get poached, you're right. They should be in contention uh, for a title. Absolutely. So we switch now to the West Division, which will, which we will kick off with the Evanville Otters, 57 and 39, a franchise best record. Caught them second place in the West in a missed playoff berth last year, which I'm sure for Otters fans is a tough pill to swallow, missing by, I believe it was only a game or half game of uh, actually making the postseason last year. It was a half game. Yeah, half game. So, I mean, like, that's a bitter pill to swallow, certainly. And literally just that you happen to play more games. That's it. Man, that would, see, if I'm someone in that organization, that kind of burns me a little bit. It really it's got to. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think you can say that uh, th- that Andy Bacali and company took the uh, took the the frustration and anger and put it into getting good players for the season, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Which speaking of Andy McCauley, he returns for his 12th season, 557 wins to 993 losses, which may not seem like a great record. But honestly, for Andy Ball, longevity is a virtue. I'm just 
going to point that out. So he's clearly got something going there, and he still has almost 600 wins. And if he has as good of a season as he did last year, he'll hit 600 uh, this year, certainly. And they play in historic boss field, uh, 315 to each side, three or 415 at, at center, which, as you mentioned, well, this is a, a lineup that is very good. They returned a lot of guys from last year's team, and that's probably going to bode well. This does feel like a playoff team, but I will say the West is a very strong division. So there's other teams that are really going to be fighting here, but I love, love the pitching staff on this team. Yeah, I, the pitching staff is really strong as they were last year. Even though they've got some good bats in their lineup too. I mean, Jeffrey Baez is a stud yep. uh, at the plate. I mean, a guy who performed really well in King County last year and also just shredded when he was at Evansville. So I, I think that... It, however long he is here, he's going to hit for a ton of power. Uh, he's it's certainly one of the league's better hitters, but you're right. The the rotation has so much depth. Uh, I mean, Logan Sawyer, a former, Lan- uh, former Lancaster arm as well. And, uh, of course, you can't, uh, you can't look over Ryan O'Reilly because uh, O'Reilly had a great year last year uh, with Evansville, a guy with, with an ERA. A 290 ERA as a rookie, which is just so impressive. So impressive coming straight out of college, right? Straight out of the Horizon League and and coming right to Evansville and becoming one of their best starters down the stretch. So I think a full season from him is going to be really interesting. I mentioned mentioned Sawyer already. Uh, Even a guy like, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see Potentially a guy like uh, like Justin Wat- Justin Watland in the bullpen. He, he did struggle in the American Association, perhaps going down a little bit uh, in the Frontier League could help him a little bit. But uh, but overall, just a really strong team, uh, top to bottom, honestly. Oh, absolutely. You mentioned O'Reilly up front, but Tim Holdgraffer was the opening day starter I saw, and he did very well last year as well in that role. Austin Gossman's another guy that was very solid as well as a starter, 422 ERA, which doesn't sound as impressive as it really is in indie ball. Tyler Spring was a guy we did a highlight on over the offseason. A very, very effective bullpen guy. Not a closer, but 57 innings and 40 outings at 2-5 ERA. It's very good there. Joe Riley's a guy that kind of split time between the American Association and the Frontier League last year with the Evansville in the Frontier League. He looked very solid there. J.R. Davis is a guy that we also did a preview on as well. He's another solid player. Miles Gordon is far from bad too. Elijah McName is also another solid player. There's just a lot of solid talent here. And this is what I mean in this whole half is really stacked here. It starts with Evansville being like this and there's a lot of other teams that have some very solid roster construction here i would say they are a a playoff team uh maybe more of a wild card team just because of how good that this uh this division is but this team was constructed very well totally agree i think they're going to be one of the teams at the top i i I think that they're going to be at the top of this west division as good as it is Oh, absolutely. We switched out to the team that won the West last year in the Florence Yalls, 57-38, and 38, first in the West, lost in the semifinal to, I believe it was Schomburg, if I'm not mistaken, beat them. Yep. Yep. So they lost there, but manager Brian White returns for his second season at the helm. He's built a very good roster in the newly renamed Thomas Moore Stadium, 325. 395, 325, your dimensions there. And this is a team that 
who honestly returned some very talented pitchers and some very talented batters as well. Overall, I do like the team, I got to say. Yeah, it's a very similar team. Uh, it's a pretty similar team to last year, uh, Villalobos specifically in the rotation. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, a guy that really uh, uh, came into the Frontier League at just 21 years old. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that's something that it's something you don't see too often uh, as, as young as the Frontier League tries to be. And a guy who can come in at 21 and contribute the way Villalobos did last year is certainly impressive. Uh, adding Craig Massey, I don't know what he is at this point uh, just because he hasn't really played. He did when he struggled big time uh, in Southern, Mar- so, sorry, not Southern Maryland, Southern Illinois, yeah. uh, when he was more of a player coach. Um, and he, he's still a kind of a long way from those Somerset days where he was competing for the batting title in the Atlantic league. I don't know if he's still that kind of guy. So I guess um, I, I, I do think they're, they're a solid group though. Um, even a, even a guy, uh, I, I, I would like to see maybe a guy like Axel Johnson uh, improve in this lineup a little bit. Uh, I don't I don't know if I, I love this team. They, again, they return a, a lot of guys. Uh, I think in particular, though, I think you could rely on a guy like Harrison DiNicola to hit for a high average the way he did for Florence a season ago. A little bit of pop uh, as well, the guy who hit 285 last year so i think it's a solid team i think evansville is better uh but i think they will still be in the mix for a playoff spot i'd agree with that i feel like they're more of a wild card team axel johnson you mentioned i'd like to see him get more consistent if he could do that i like him same thing with joe little um but where i really like with this team is that kind of bullpen with cheek and craigie i really do like an awful lot i think those are pretty solid players you mentioned it's a similar team, and it is a very similar team. I, I would, if they can have similar results, obviously you're not going to complain about that. Uh, but overall, they just do feel like more of a wild card team. I think it depends very much on how the rest of this division shakes out. But there's a lot of good teams here, so they could wind up missing. If they were in the East, I would think that they're a surefire playoff team. But in the West, I'm not so sold on that. So I would agree with you on that. I, I would agree with as far as the uh, as far as the division thing. Uh, they'd definitely be a, a a playoff team in the in the East, but the West. I'm not to say they can't do it because they can, but they they'll probably be they're fighting with a lot of other good teams as well. Yep, including this next team, the Gateway Grizzlies, 38 and 57 last year, third in the West. Uh, they missed the postseason. Well, they would have been third in the West. They wound up being fourth in the West because Southern Illinois was ahead of them, but they're they're not a factor anymore. Uh, Anyway, they have a new manager. It's Steve Brook. He moved from supposed to be Ottawa to now Gateway, of course. Home ballpark is GCS ballpark, 318, 385, and 301 to right. That is a very short there. That, 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 that. That's got to be abused by hitters. I'm sorry. you got to abuse that as a hitter. Either way, they have a very, very good team. I really like what Steve Brook did putting this team together. I could really see them challenging along with Evansville for first in here. And I'm going to feel really bad for whichever team winds up in second place because they're going to have a really rough draw come the postseason. But man, do I like this team's construction. The Grizzlies have had a rough couple years. I think this is the year they turn it around. 
Well, I think this year, I think you got to say in the Frontier League, I think Gateway is by far, in my opinion, the most uh, the, the the most improved team oh, on absolutely. paper in the Frontier League. So, I mean, you look at they got they got big names on this roster. Brendan Feldman returns from the Atlantic League after struggling with the Ducks. I think a return more for him in the Frontier League where he dominated with River City. He was very familiar with Steve Brook, of course. Uh, Clint Freeman, of course, another guy Steve Brook familiar familiar with. Uh, on the pitching end of things, I think it's a really strong group. Again, a lot of depth. In particular, a guy I'm looking forward to, Stephen Ridings, um, a guy who hasn't pitched since 2019 but was excellent with Southern Illinois uh, in, ju- in just six starts in 2019. Hasn't pitched since then but had that 186 ERA in those innings. So uh, just an overall, I think, a, a stack team that Steve Brook has done an excellent job assembling that roster in year one, trying to bring winning back to Gateway that in a way that they were really rough last year, uh, but a, a team that I think is going to be really good this year. Oh, absolutely. Also, Justin Farrell, once he gets healthy, he's going to be a force here. Uh, Andrew Penner's a guy I've been high on since last year. Jackson Pritchard's another guy here. Trevor Achenbach is another guy. They just added an awful lot to this team. Of course, Clint Freeman as well. Uh, Isaac Bernard is another guy who looks very solid. I believe had a very good night tonight as well. So Sam Gardner's another dude that has some real potential, I think. Overall, there's a lot to really like on this team. It's deep pitching. It's deep batting. This is a team where, honestly, I really hope that they wind up playing Evansville for the West Division title in the postseason. I think if we get that as your final, no matter who comes out of the West, you can go and say, all right, we're going to have a very worthy champion playing in the championship game. I really like this team a lot. They are, like you said, well, by far the most improved team. I'm curious to see what they do. And uh, overall, I, I really like this team a lot. I'm very curious to see how they handle that 301 to right field. That seems like it's ripe for abuse. Oh, uh, yeah, you could say so. Yeah, so we go to the next team here. The Joliet Slammers, 39 and 56, fourth in the Central. Missed the postseason, as one may guess. New manager at the helm is Daniel Schlereth, first year. DuPont Medical Group Field is still the home field. 348, 400, 327. Uh, this is a team I think is going to be better than last year, but still not exactly the best team in the world. Well, they have an interesting manager. I mean, Daniel Schlereth, a former big leaguer, a guy who was on some of those Tigers teams that reached an ALCS in the World Series uh, as well. So I, I think they got an interesting manager. The roster I don't find to be as interesting, though. Uh, I think uh, you're looking specifically guys that I'm looking for. I, I think Tanner, uh, I think you say it Keist, but Tanner yeah. Keist out of the bullpen, a uh, guy who, with, with, with the Rockland Boulders last year struck out everybody in existence, but also walked almost everybody in existence. So uh, he's got great stuff. He misses a lot of batters. I mean, he nearly struck out 15 for nine. Uh, but I think, I, I think if he can sort of figure out that control, he can be a really good arm. Again, he's a guy that's also pitched in the American Association as well. I just don't see a whole lot uh, in this lineup and not a lot of power in this lineup. Yeah. Uh, that that's. It, I think it's just very bland. It's very contact-based, trying to play small ball a little bit perhaps. But I think, I think they're honestly – I'll be a little bit more blunt. I think they get gobbled up in this big – in this West division that is really, really good. Yeah, it just like like we mentioned, the West is the division to beat this year. It seems like because there's just so many 
good teams in here. There's really four, arguably five teams that really could make the postseason out of here. This is one of those teams that really I just don't think has the depth to do it pitching-wise. Uh, Cole Cook is one of those guys I think is pretty decent. Charpy's another guy that's pretty decent batting-wise. I mean, you can look at Carson Maxwell, but he's just so-so. Briley Ware is probably the best batter here, and even then, I'm not in love with him. Man, Jerry's not bad. McGarry's not bad. Smith Jr. is all right. Like, there's just a lot of all right talent here. I'm not seeing an awful lot where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is a guy on this team here. I agree with you. I don't see them as a playoff team. I see them kind of being towards the bottom of this division. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that you're going to they're going to be a team more towards the bottom as as well as the uh, as the next team, I think, uh, or in a similar boat, that being the Lake Erie Crushers. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Lake Erie, as you mentioned, forty-one to fifty-five last year, third in the Central, missed the postseason. Cam Roth returns to helm this team. It's his third year technically, but not third consecutive year. He was in Gateway last year, actually, and the year before that, in twenty twenty, he was supposed to be with the Tigers organization. Uh, that didn't really last the pandemic. And then in 18 and 19, he was the Lake Erie manager in that time frame. 95 wins, 97 losses. Mercy Health Field, 325 to each of the sides, 400 down the middle. Uh, yeah, this is not a team that's particularly deep. There's, f I'd say, three guys on this team I really like. The rest of them I'm so-so on. Yeah, I think... Uh, the one guy I'm in particular looking forward to, uh, Ken Gunner Kynes. We love Gunner Kynes on this show, but yeah. he did not have a good year last year with Southern Illinois. It, are, are we aboard the Gunner Kynes resurgence bandwagon? I'm going to say yes. I, I think that there's a, I think he can, he still missed enough bats in Southern Illinois. I, I think you, at least looking at the numbers, it looks like he got a little bit unlucky. I think he could be a legit ace for them. The problem, I don't think that there's a whole lot outside of that. This lineup, I think, is pretty pretty bare as well. Uh, so definitely not a team that I think is going to be very good. But Gunnar Kynes, but every fifth day that it's Gunnar Kynes' bump day, you know, I, I think that I think that could be uh, a pretty interesting sight. And uh, I'm I'm all aboard the Gunnar Kynes uh, resurgence bandwagon. I want him to do better, but I like the trend. He didn't pitch well in Melbourne. The, during the winter ball before last year, he was all right in Schaumburg the year before that. You know, 236 year as a starter in 103 innings, very good there. He was good in Adelaide. Then he struggled Schaumburg in 18. He was good in 17. It, he's really up and down. I want him to do better, but I'm not really banking on it. For me, the is a different former Southern Illinois minor pitcher that I really like. Uh, that'd be Caleb Schmidt. I like him a little bit more, a younger guy. I just finished college last year. He came out and really did well in nine starts, 15 total games, a 388 ERA, 51 innings pitch. He seems like a pretty solid guy. I like him as a pitcher. So, I mean, that gives you two guys at the top of your rotation that are really of interest. Jared Mengs, another former minor, too, that uh, looks pretty solid. He's not a pitcher, but as a batter, he hit 294 and 10 home runs last year. So that's pretty pretty solid in his 88 games. So I like that. But other than that, it just doesn't seem like a team that has all too much depth to it. It doesn't even seem like it has that much that stretches deep. It seems like if you can survive two or three batters in this lineup, then you're pretty good three days out of uh, out of five. And that's just not going to be good enough to 
to win you games if you're the Crusher, so I'm not really putting a lot of stock in them to do too much damage here. Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm in agreement. I think Lake Erie's probably going to struggle, especially in a division that's as good as the West Division is this year in the Frontier League. Absolutely. So we switch to the next team in the West, which is the defending champions of the Frontier League, the Schomburg Boomers, 51 and 45. First in the Central, Jamie Bennett will come back for his 10th season, 464, 400 is the record. Win Trust Field is. 355, 400, and 353 feet for the dimensions. This is a team that returns a lot of the same guys, and they won a championship last year, so I feel bad doubting them. But honestly, I don't know what to make of this team. I think they could be hitting some regression uh, from a season. It's hard to even say that because, like, you look at their record, 51 and 45, and you're like, yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah. Uh, But... Then they won a bad division and then won the championship. And I still cannot ugh. see. I love baseball postseasons, but sometimes it's such a crapshoot and you get yeah. stuff like this. And you also get like, however, how many wins did the Braves have last year? Like, wasn't like, it like under 90? It was around 90. I think it was 92. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's guys I, I definitely like on this team. I mean, Kyle Arjona returns again. He was a really good arm, although he just, he, he doesn't miss a lot of bats, which uh, concerns me a little bit just for regression purposes, but he also pitched good in the, in the, in the winter league and down in Mexico. So I think Kyle Arjona is good. Uh, Daryl Thompson and a lefty in their bullpen, not the same Daryl Thompson in Southern Maryland, uh, but he was, he returns after a really good year in their bullpen. He's striking out 13 per nine. That's strong. Uh, and of course, how do you forget Braxton Davidson? I mean, Braxton Davidson is such a good bat. In the lineup, he abs and saying he's shredded in Schaumburg might not be putting it strongly enough because I mean, he is MLB the show type numbers. I mean, the dude hit 363 and homered 10 times, he hit 10 home runs, 10 doubles in 30 games. Uh, so that'll, yeah, just completely bonkers. Uh, so I feel bad counting them out. I mean, I don't want to count them out, I think they could be in the mix for a wild card. I just think the I think the depth of the roster concerns me a little bit, but they just won a championship, so can't totally count them out. But I think they you could see some regression. Yeah, which again I just looked up for the record. You were right; they had eighty eight wins. The Braves did last okay. year, but uh, as far as the Boomers go, I kind of put them in the same grouping as Florence, where they're like a fringe playoff team, but if they were in a different division, they would be a playoff team. You know, you mentioned Braxton Davidson, who had an RBI game last year after getting picked up. And I do appreciate the Boomers for making moves to try and make the postseason. And it clearly paid off for him. So I love to see that in indie ball where you're making baseball trades, where you're trading actual players for each other. I love to see that. It re- I just don't know why. I love to see it. Daryl Thompson, but not the Daryl Thompson, is here. Uh... Malazzo is all right. Botch is all right. Chase Dawson's not too bad. I like adding Blake Grant Parks, who, if I'm not mistaken, was the Rangers bullpen catcher for not for a season or so. Kyler Jonas not bad either. Ryan Middendorf's not bad. This is a team that's really going to need pitching to survive. I don't think batting's going to be their strong suit. They returned a lot of guys, and that's part of the reason why they went out and they got uh, Braxton Davidson last year. So I. I put them as like possibly in that three hole. It wouldn't surprise me, but I'm also not surprised if they don't. I kind of I'm rooting for them though. I, I certainly am, but uh, they're kind of a in the air team. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they're probably they'll be in the mix for a playoff spot. I think they could be on the outside looking in though. Absolutely. So we go to the second to last team in the preview, which is the Washington Wild Things. 56 and 40, first in the Northeast last year. They lost to those Boomers in the championship series. Tom Veith returns for his second year as manager. Uh, Wild Things Park is 320 to each side and 410 to center. Uh, players to watch for. There's a lot of them here. I really do like this team overall. I think this is a team that could be your third playoff team. I, I feel confident calling them that. Well, you, uh, how do you reward the Washington Wild Things for winning a, an insanely tough division last year? Well, of course, you move them away from all of those teams and put them in an even tougher division. <laughs> so congratulations, yeah. Washington Wild Things, who cannot catch a break. I mean, uh, I mean the Wild Things, they, they got to the championship. They, they had a great year last year. A team that started slow. Uh, but started to really catch on towards the end. I agree. I think this is a good roster. I like the pitching staff. I love Rob Whalen. I love Osby. I, I don't know. Is it pronounced Kubiak or Kub- Kubiuk? I assume it would be Kubiak, but Kubiak, I, I, I don't guess. know. There's no A. So okay, I don't know. But uh, Kubiak, he's a guy who had a tale of two seasons, uh, one in the American Association slash Atlantic League where he was rough, and then he came to Washington and was absolutely lights out in that bullpen. I mean, three walks compared to 32 strikeouts in 21 innings. Crazy. It's just off. The, it's just off the rails. Uh, so I, I think you could look at, again, big fan of Rob Whalen. I think the pitching staff is really strong. I think the lineup is solid. I wouldn't put them in like an elite, uh, but I think, yeah, I think they'll be in the mix for that third spot, but I'd put, I'd definitely put a team like Washington over, over like a group of like Schomburg and Florence. I, I think they're, they're better than those teams. Absolutely. I think this is a team that is kind of like, they're well established, I think, in my mind, as that third playoff team. Nick Ward's a guy I'm really interested in. I know he was on cycle watch at one point tonight, so I'm not sure if he quite got there. And the Frontier League site, while it is much better than it used to be, is extremely slow, I gotta say. I'd like to see that pick up. Kenny Pearson's a guy that was in the American Association with the Apollos last year. I like him a lot. I think he could really do well on this level. Hector Rowe is good. Christian James is a guy I really like. Andrew Check's good. Braylon Jackson we know is good. Jamie Smart is coming over from Windy City, so he's a solid guy. Uh, Ian Walters is another guy who looks pretty good. Overall, I really do like this team. I think it's a solid, solid team here. Yep, Nick Ward had four hits, four RBIs tonight, too. And I know I said I was going to try and avoid it, but, man, that's pretty solid. Yeah, he had a base hit, a double, and a home run, so he fell just short of a cycle, but even still solid debut for Nick Ward, Nick Ward tonight. Uh, but yeah, no, I think this is your third playoff team. I think they're just a solid, solid all around team. Yeah. I I think that I think Washington certainly a a good club. Uh, I think that they're back in the mix again, but again, really tough division. So there's not much room for error. Absolutely. And so we go to our final team, the Windy City Thunderbolts, 43 and 53, second in the Central. They missed the postseason last year, but Brian Smith will return for his third year as manager, 85 and 107 as the record of Zynga Field, 335 to each side, 390 down the middle. And there's some players here, including a Hofstra grad, I noticed. Got to get that mention in there. So I'll let you kick off, and I assume you're going to start with that set Hofstra grad. 
Well, I, I'll get to him in a second, uh, who's actually quite a good player. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Windy City, I don't love the roster in general. A couple guys that I do like, Tyler Thornton in the rotation, had a really good year last year, uh, 347 ERA, 19 starts, few returns. Uh, I don't see uh, a ton. I worry I worry about a lot about depth with this team. I don't know yeah. if they're really that much improved uh, fr- from a year ago, which is the concerning part. However, they do have a member of the Hofstra pride, that being Rob Weishire, who was the first baseman on our team last year. Really good hitter. A really yeah. good hitter. And he then uh, absolutely shredded in the prospect league, uh, which, oh, what? That's the, ja- that's the league Jackson joined, right? Yeah. Yeah, they joined the prospect league. Yeah, so if you want to know his prospect league numbers, he hit 408 with 12 home runs in 29 games. So he, he homered 12 times and struck out 12 times. So uh, he was outclassing in that league. Yeah, he's outclassing them just a step above, I think, uh, the pitching he was facing, you could say. Yeah. Uh, however, he, he was really good in the Frontier League. Um, strikeouts perhaps a little bit high, but he showed some pop, hit eight home runs in 59 games. Uh, he's probably one of the better hitters in their lineup, actually. I mean, he yeah. had 830 OPS uh, as a rookie. So I'm interested to see what he does, and uh, always be, I'll always be rooting for him because he is a Hofstra grad. So we, we love Rob Weishire. This is a Rob Weishire stand zone as well. Yeah, uh, I I look at this team and I'm like, yeah, there's that's a concern. I like Chrisman, I like Matthews, I like Thornton, I like Weisheiser, as you mentioned. Uh, overall, though, I just just not much else here. I mean, like, what else is there? Vasic, Abitello, uh, Brian Martinez isn't bad. Dan Robinson's not bad. There's a lot of guys here that I just kind of classify like that. They're not bad players. It's just. You kind of need more than that, especially in this division. I think they're kind of at the bottom tier of this division overall, though. Uh, there's probably worse teams in this division than than the uh, Thunderbolts are, but, uh, you know, that's just where we're at. Yeah. Prediction time? Yep, we are at predictions. Now we have gotten through this whole league here. Uh, we got player of the year, pitcher of the year, playoff teams, and the championship matchup. I will let you start with the playoff teams. All right, playoff team. So I guess we're doing, should I do both divisions at the same time? Or should I do like one division at a time? Uh, start with the East division and then we will go to the, uh, to the West right. from there. All right, East division or East division. My three playoff teams in first place. I have the Quebec Capitals. All right. Just a stay, a stacked roster. I got them first. I got Tri-City second because they're equally as good. And just because, and I will say, do I like Ottawa's roster more than Sussex County, which is the two teams I was debating between? Okay. Yes. Do Does the evil side of me rooting for Sussex County to get the three just so we could have a one-game playoff? Yes. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, Sussex God. County third. Oh, my God. That would be that would be great. Honestly, I, I really want that to happen, that you've mentioned it. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know, but it would be great if it did happen. I'll give you that. The West. So I think my my top two. I have I have Evansville first. I have Gateway second and third. I uh, some guess definitely some teams are considered here, but I decided to go with the with the Washington Wild things. Uh, just edging out uh, edging out the Florence Yalls uh, for that last spot. But those are my three playoff teams from each division. All right. I agree with you on, on one half of these. With the other half, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to start with my West as well. 
I'm going to agree with Quebec City. I think they're a pretty safe lock. Um, I'm also going to agree with you with Tri-City. I think they're a pretty solid team there. But I'm going to disagree on that third team. I think Three Rivers is the team. I think they're a solid enough team. I like their construction. And I think the batting is going to be enough to carry them. That said, looking at the West, uh, I have a hard time disagreeing with any of your picks, to be honest. Evansville, Gateway, and Washington seem to be pretty safely put. I don't know if Evansville is going to be first or not. I think Gateway could probably uh, knock them off from there, but I will say Washington is the third place team in here, and I think we're going to have a fun series there. So uh, with that said, who do you think is going to be the championship matchup and a winner? All right, give me Quebec versus Gateway. Okay. I think I think it would be a really cool story if Gateway is, is able to pull it off. I just think that, and again, this is a, it's a playoff series. It's a yeah. crapshoot between uh, between Gateway and uh, Evansville. I do think uh, I, I would be interesting. I, I think Gateway's rotation gives them the edge, uh, okay. which is why I, w- I would lean towards them in a playoff series. Uh, and then between Gateway and Quebec, uh, really close. But I'm going to go Quebec. I think going it's Quebec. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go Quebec. I think they get back to their winning ways and take down Gateway in a very exciting, though, very exciting championship series. Very interesting. See, I'm going to go something a little bit different. I think it's going to be Evansville that winds up making that final. I like their team a little bit more, although I think Gateway is probably the better overall team. And I, got, I think Evansville is going to take the whole thing, to be quite honest. But I think it's going to be over a uh, over a Tri-City. I like Tri-City. I don't think they're going to have the same issues as last year. I think they are just a bit of a better team than everybody else here once you really get into the minutiae of it. Do I think Quebec's going to put up a fight? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I'd like Tri-City to just knock them off there. And i like Evansville to make that final. All righty. All right, so then we got player and pitcher of the year. Start us off with the player of the year, then I'll give mine, and then then we'll go to pitcher after that. Player of the year for me is also going to be on my championship team, that being Quebec. And if you know how much I talked about him earlier, you know that I'm going to go with him. It's going to be Josh McAdams. I think McAdams in a hitter's ballpark going into the Frontier League, I think he is going to rake. Uh, He is my player of the year. I think there's a couple other guys. I considered Juan Kelly as well. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to go with Josh McAdams as my preseason frontier league player of the year. As far as pitcher of the year, going to go Kumar Rocker. Just kidding. I, I wish I, I that would be fun. That'd be really. It would fun. be kind of funny. Yeah, that'd be really funny. He's Actually, I'm going to go big time in his return to the frontier league. A big bounce back. Give me Brendan Feldman for pitcher oh, of the year. Brendan Feldman. Okay. I wasn't exactly expecting that one. I thought we were going to have the same guy for pitcher of the year. Ooh. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let that sit for a second. As far as uh, player of the year goes for me, I'm going to pick a uh, a fan favorite in one area. Uh, he's been in you know, many different teams, many different leagues. He's had time in affiliated ball, uh, certainly. But in the end... I'd like Mikey Reynolds to have that spot as the uh, player of the year. I think he is going to haul it down for the Sussex County Myers. I think he's just going to be that electric. I think he's a really solid ball player, and I think we're going to see that this year. As far as pitcher of the year goes, uh, we are looking north of the border for that. I'm looking at Zach Westcott. I think he's a really good player. I think he's the kind of guy that lasts the full year, which is something that's important when you consider these things. And uh, 
I think it's just that good of a pitcher. He's going to last. He's going to pitch well. And I think he's going to be a very reliable force for them this year. So player of the year, I got Mike Reynolds. For pitcher of the year, I got Zach Westcott. Both of those certainly not bad options either. Yeah. And so with that, we have reached the end of this preview. We have managed to do it in a pretty decent timing, too. We got it done in about 90 minutes. So overall, pretty solid, I think. And I think we did a pretty thorough job of covering all 16 Frontier League teams. It's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun year. Oh, yeah. Frontier League. Really excited. A lot of good teams. You can make a case for honestly four or five, six teams to, to make a championship run. So very excited in the first year of the 16 teams in the Frontier League. Oh, absolutely. Definitely agree with that. We'll be interested to see where everything winds up shaking out at the end of the day. And so on that note, I guess we can go to the plugs here after we announce one thing, which I just remembered. We have a guest next week because as previously mentioned, uh, I'm going to be away next week. So that means we have to pre-record these episodes. So that way I don't have to lug editing equipment with me and, you know, recording equipment. So while some of the topics may be a little bit dated because we are recording it over the weekend, we are going to have Ryan from AOPB Roundup on next week. We're going to be talking all Atlantic League stuff. We're going to go probably back over Kevin Krause. We're going to talk about Lexington's mound issue that I know he's been on top of there. We're going to talk about where we're at, about 10% of the way through the season. Uh, some of the more hidden stories, more on top of the stories, and you know anything really Atlantic League. We're going to talk to him uh, next week, and it's going to be a fun time gonna be a fun episode to talk to ryan again cannot wait yep absolutely there so with that announced now we can formally go to those plugs if you want to follow the show you can do so on twitter at indie ball pod you can do so on instagram at lpb underscore news and at indie ball report on twitter you can find the show notes which has the links to everything we mentioned in the show as well as every episode of the show so things that we mentioned uh in previous episodes they'll all be on the website which is IndieBallReport.com. You can uh, find the show just about wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, the whole nine, any major podcatcher pretty much has the show. So if you're able to, please like, rate, and review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? Game seven, Sunday. We're in the same boat, Nick. Yeah, I know. It's So... In my on my end, let's go Celtics. Ranger hockey is a heart attack waiting to happen, and God bless Louis Deming for trying to catch a puck. Oh, that was so bad! I literally had it on the other TV, so I was watching it, and then and I was rooting for for Louis. I'm like, not so much that I really care about who wins the series, but I'm like Louis Deming, former Devil goalie, for a little bit. I was pulling for him, and then he's played pretty well in the series, and then that happened. He should have had more pork. That was his issue. He needs more spicy True. pork. True. But, yeah. I love. I let out an audible woohoo when that happened. Because I was like, holy shit, he didn't catch that? Because <laughs> at first I thought he tried to just block her away and then it went up and over his head. But then I realized, yeah. no, he closed his glove too soon. That's a peewee goal right there. Oh, man. Oh, man. But, yeah. Game sevens are fun. But, uh. MSG too? Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be electric, and I didn't think we were going to get this far. So, hey, how's money right now? I thought this was going to be an easy series, and then when we fell down 3-1, I thought it was game over. I was like, we're not winning three in a row, and now here we are, one game away. And I'm like, oh, well, all of a sudden, I feel a lot more confident. But 
Anywho, I don't really have much else to add. Plus, I don't want to add more runtime on this because I'm going to be editing this till like 3, 3.30 in the morning. So it's going to be a fun time. But uh, Well, that's, that's, the, that's the dedication one Nick Firestone provides. It's second to none. Oh, God. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We're going to finish recording this at quarter to one in the morning. I'm going to finish editing this at 3.30 in the morning. And then if I'm right tomorrow, like 15 or so hours after I finish editing this, we're going to turn around and record another episode. So it's going to be a fun 24 hours of Indie Ball Report. Going to get, sure like, I'm going to probably record and edit two full episodes in one day, which is just screaming fun to me. But, <laughs> but yeah, we endure. We'll manage. And with all that said, nothing to add. Till next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>